Father, thank you so much for this uh, occasion in the life of the Menez family. Thank you that Connor is a Christian. We're going to see a Christian young man to uh, pitch for the San Francisco Giants. And Father, we just pray that you would give him calmness and confidence and wisdom as he pitches. Uh, that he would do well, and that he would give glory and honor to you in all that happens. We pray that uh, his family would be encouraged. We pray that the gathering of the family, we know there are some that are not believers, that uh, it would give an up, another opportunity for the gospel and the glory of God. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I guess that brought me in from the bullpen to pinch hit. That's kind of a mixed metaphor, I guess, but... Okay, we're going to be in the book of Ruth. As the providence of God would have it, I've been going through the book of Ruth, uh, me and other teachers in our Bible fellowship group, and we came to Ruth chapter 4 today, and they got a little bit of a preview because we had a Q&A session where they sat around tables and got to observe things from Ruth chapter 4. But that brings us to you and to this opportunity to put it all together and to preach. Now, one thing you see in the book of Ruth is that the providence of God is behind every circumstance and every detail. And as we look at Ruth's life and Naomi's life and Boaz and all of those characters that are in this piece of the Word of God, we're going to be reminded that in every single one of our lives... God's providence is always working behind the scenes in perhaps a million other ways that you'll never even know how God worked things out. But it's so important for us to have that conscious awareness that for the believer, God loves you. And he is always working things according to the counsel of his will, according to the glorious grace that he has towards us and he's working everything out for good for your conformity to the image of Christ it's so easy for us to get lost in the details isn't it you know we have so many things happening in our lives my wife and I Myra we, we were uh, just this past week thinking through all the problems and all the financial issues and things that we have going on you know and she was asking me well what's what's the priority and I said, you know, well, I don't want to think about that right now. <laughs> and, and so I, I kind of needed a day to think through, you know, what all's going on? What are the financial needs and what's most crucial? And, you know, and there's health issues and there's children issues and going away to summer camp. And, you know, there's so many things working together all the time. There are people that are brought into our lives. You know, I, I got a sermon to prepare, and so for a little while I run off to uh, Starbucks to, to study. I like to get there at one of the tables sometimes and just do part of my studying there as I, uh, you know, get on the internet there. And, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm standing in line to get my coffee, and there's a guy there. He might be here today, actually, but, uh, but he, he's sitting on a sofa. And I'd met him before and talked to him before, and and all of a sudden I'm just I'm just thinking, okay, I got to say hi to this guy. So I, I say hi, and sure enough, instantly we're brought into a discussion, and he shares with me all 
of these issues that are going on in his life and how he's, he's near at the end of his life and, and he could be close to death. And so I'm thinking, I got a sermon to prepare. But I was burdened. And so I sat down on a little stool beside him and asked him, are you ready to die? And that took us to the gospel. So God is always working. But the greatest thing that he wants you to see is his redemptive plan in Christ. And above all else, everything you're going through, that's what he wants to do. He wants to glorify himself in salvation of his people. So always be attuned to that. And that, that's what I hope that this message today will help you with. Let's give a little overview of the book of Ruth. Before we dive into chapter 4, Ruth is composed of four main scenes, four main chapters, one in each chapter. Uh, chapter 1 starts on the road from Moab to Judah. And the story of Ruth is a series of setbacks. We see that it's in the time of Judges when Israel has no king. You've got you to note that. There's no king in Israel. There's these judges that rule over different parts. And, and there's seven cycles of sin that are going on there. They, they just keep on disobeying God. They're punished. And then they repent and God blesses. This happens over and over again. God delivers them through some judge that he'll raise up like a, a Samson. But Ruth appears right in this, the midst of the judges. And it's like, a, like a, wo, a, a rose between thorns, a beautiful expression of God's grace and mercy. So apparently they're during a time of the, the punishment because of disobedience of Judah, because there's a famine in the land, and, and Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, Leave and go to Moab, which must have been pretty desperate for them to do that. They take their two sons, Nalon and Kilion. And they take Moabite women as their wives, uh, Orpah and Ruth. And they're married for ten years, but there's no descendants. Elimelech dies, Kilion dies, Nalon dies. And Naomi is left there in a foreign land with two daughters-in-law. She hears that God has provided food back over in Judah. And so things must be going well in Judah at this time. There must be some obedience. So she decides she's going to come back. Well, Orpah and Ruth are with her for a little while. But then Orpah decides to go back. And Naomi wants her to go back. But she can't convince Ruth to go back. Ruth sticks with her and says, I want your people to be my people. I want your God to be my God. God has already started to do something very special. He's provided food. He's provided Ruth now for Naomi. And so Ruth appears to be drawn by God's grace out of Moabite religion into the worship of the one true God. So that's a beautiful thing. But at the end of chapter 1, Naomi sees God as against her. She's not picking up on these blessings yet. 
she says to the women who, who greet her and recognize her, he says, she says, do not call me Naomi, verse 21 of chapter 1. Call me Mara. See, Naomi means pleasantness. Mara means bitterness or bitter. She says, the Almighty has dealt very severely with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? But something hopeful is happening. Verse 22 says, So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem. We know Bethlehem, don't we? They came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. God is blessing in Bethlehem. So Ruth is with her in the providence of God. Uh, he's using Naomi to bring Ruth to Judah for a special purpose. So the next scene we have in chapter 2, it takes, mostly, takes place mostly outside of Bethlehem in some fields. The narrator tells us that Naomi has a close kinsman, a close relative named Boaz. And Ruth needs to provide for her and Naomi, and so she's going to go out and work in the fields, and she's going to glean and reap after the reapers and pick up whatever's left. And she's just going to work hard and provide. And as providence would have it, though, in verse 3, it says she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz. I love that kind of a phraseology in the Bible. It just happened to occur. But we don't believe in luck, do we? We don't believe in chance. We believe in the sovereignty of God, and we see his, his fingerprints all over this. And here is God providing that she would just happen to be on the land of the, close, of the close relative who might be the kinsman redeemer. I hope that this, even this highlights in your life that things aren't happening by accident. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Proverbs 16.33. It says, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. You know, when you have all this angst and anguish. You're playing Monopoly, you know, and you roll the dice and you land on Park Place and it belongs to somebody else and you lose all your money. It's every decision is from the Lord. Don't discount small things. It's fascinating. Meditate on that sometime in your life. And then start thinking about every single detail of your life and how God is orchestrating his plan through it I'm having problems with both my cars right now so there's got to be some mechanic out there that's got to hear the gospel <laughs> right so we see this scene of, of Boaz he comes into the property uh, he's over these laborers that are out there and uh we see him as a godly man. He greets them. He says, may the Lord be with you. And they greet him back with the same kind of a blessing. And, and he sees Ruth, the Moabitess. 
he, he asks about her and they tell her the story of how she's come from Moab with Naomi. And, and he knows Naomi and he, he knows the story a little bit. And so uh, he, he is a righteous man as well. And so he wants to take care of Ruth. She's a widow and she's a stranger. And he's applying the law, being faithful to God by noticing and caring for people like her. So he gives her protection. He says, let her be right among you. He tells her, you just stay on my land so you'll be protected. I don't know what would happen to you if you went to some of these people's land. And and so she stays right there and she is protected. And she goes home. At the end of the day, she's been provided for. She has extra that she was given to eat. And she takes it home and she shares it with Naomi. And so there's a lot of hope in this and so she shares what has happened with Naomi and Naomi says I know this guy he's a close relative you stay right with him do what he says and so there's a little bit of glimmer of hope in Naomi the one who was brought back bitter when she sees this happening and she says this may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and to the dead. All of a sudden she starts seeing the kindness of the Lord, doesn't she? So chapter 3 comes along. And, and here we have uh, a scene taking place at the threshing floor. Where they would uh, beat out the, the weed. They would, they would prepare the grain and, and all of this. And Naomi comes up with a plan to get Ruth to be noticed by Boaz and perhaps snag a husband. By the way, ladies, I don't commend this particular tactic. <laughs> but Naomi comes up with this plan. Okay, she tells her to, to look her best, to bathe, good idea, to, uh, to smell well, to anoint herself, perhaps with perfume. And, and when he lies down, he's going to be dead tired at the end of the day. And when he lies down, go over and uncover his feet and lie down at his feet. Well, middle of the night, you know, he wakes up. What's going on here? And there's a woman <laughs> at his feet. And she essentially says, you know, spread your cloak over me. Take me under your wings, under your protection. Proposes to him, so to speak, and says, you know, I want to be your wife. And he commends her, you know, wow, you have uh, passed over all the, the younger men and you have, have looked to me, you've been kind to me. And so we see this again, there's a, a great hope. But right when the, the tragedy of Ruth's widowhood is looking great, Boaz says, but, there's a snag. There's a closer relative than me that has the rights to a Limelech's property. So we go, another setback. Who's this guy going to be? So that brings us to chapter 4. Let's look at chapter 4 together. And as we go through this climactic chapter, I want you to look for the loving kindness of God. And in verses 1 through 10, I want you to first look for the loving kindness of the Lord in the normal course of life. 
The book of Ruth, as we have presented it already, it just has ordinary people doing ordinary things. They're not thinking about, hey, we're making inspired Word of God events here. We're furthering the line of David and the line of Christ. No, they're just, just going about life. They experience moving from one place to another. Anybody moved lately? They experience the death of loved ones. We've experienced some of that. You have a daughter-in-law taking care of a widowed mother-in-law. Some of you are taking care of your uh, older parents. Uh, you have a woman who is single, and she has to work to provide for her and her mother. You have uh, workers out in the field. You have a man overseeing his workers. You have a man and a woman who fall in love. You have a man and a woman that get married. We'll see, and we'll see a baby born. Um, you know, so just the normal course of life. And I think that's special for us. It's important for us to see that because we just live the normal course of life, don't we? But the, Ruth, the book of Ruth teaches us that behind every circumstance is the providence of God. Let's read chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. Now wait a second. Stop there for a second. I mean, he goes up to the gate, and this guy just all of a sudden happens to just be passing by. You know, I mean, I don't know all this behind that. Maybe he knew when he would come or, or something like that, but they didn't have phones in those days. You know, he'd say, hey, meet me at the gate. Couldn't text. But Boaz is sitting there, and the near kins, kinsman comes along, and so go on to verse uh, 2, at the end of verse 1, he says, And he turned aside and sat down. He took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people, if you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And we go, oh no. What? Who's this guy? I thought she was supposed to marry Boaz. I love how the suspense builds in these stories in the, in the scriptures. But, but just wait. There's good news. Listen to what else Boaz says. He, he says, well, there's a catch when you redeem the property. Verse 5. Boaz said, on the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth, the, the Moabitess, by the way, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. Well, wow, that's a, a lot that comes with this deal, isn't it? Comes with the land. Marriage rights were tied to the name of the previous owner, of the person that it belonged to. And so this means that Ruth, who really is an age where she could possibly bear children, he has to take her as a wife. Now, her being a, a Moabitess, uh, that could cause a lot of social difficulty 
with him also in Israel. So these are not sacrifices he's willing to give. And so we see in verse 6, the closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption for I cannot redeem, redeem it. We were discussing in our BFG hour about why do you think that the closest relative's name is not mentioned? God kept him out of Scripture, kept his name out of Scripture, and probably his descendants are thankful for that because they would have been known as having descended from the guy who failed to become famous in Israel, who failed to be in the line of of David and the line of the Messiah enshrined for all people to see and hear about forever as the guy who wouldn't make the sacrifice. So this is my take on that. All right. So apparently they needed witnesses to affirm the deal and that's why the elders are there. But here's how the transaction goes down. Look at verse 7. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another, and this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he removed his sandal. How would you like that to be the way that you buy property today? I mean, doesn't that sound easy? I mean, no realtors, no uh, taxes, no paperwork. I mean, mounds of endless paperwork to buy a house, right? But you just take off your sandal, hand it to the person. All right, there's your land. <laughs> My BFG, we, we went out to uh, bowl Friday night, and they were giving me a real hard time because uh, I left my shoes at the bowling alley. I get home, and I'm sitting at the table, and uh, my youngest son goes, Dad, where'd you get those shoes? <laughs> I'm wearing my bowling shoes. <laughs> so, uh, Josh, uh, I went back and actually returned the shoes, but then my shoes weren't there, so I had to leave in my socks. <laughs> but... Josh graciously grabbed my shoes and brought them here and handed them to me. And I said, well, where's my property that goes with the shoes? <laughs> so that's how this deal went down. And apparently they needed these witnesses. Verse 9, then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon. But here's the romantic part. Ruth is very romantic as well. We see how Boaz in chapter 2 has treated her. We see how she has uh, gotten his attention in chapter 3 and, and acquired his interest. And then in verse 10 it says, Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife. Just think about Ruth. All of a sudden now, she's got a husband. And think about all that comes with having him as her husband as well. Not only is he this righteous, upstanding man who wants to do what is right. 
He's filled with integrity, even that he would go to the closest relative and, and tell him about the rights. But he owns all this property. He has all these servants. He's a pretty, pretty wealthy man, apparently. But even more so, there's hope of having a child. To be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the, the, the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. Don't you love this man? He wants to do what is right. He's willing to even raise up the descendants in the name of Elimelech. He takes note of strangers. He greets people with prayers like, may the Lord bless you. He blesses people with food and waters. He takes care of the widows and strangers. Now remember here that Boaz has absolutely no idea what God is doing. But you can see the, the hidden loving providence of God behind all these circumstances, can't you? He brought, God brought a famine as is often the case in judgment of Israel over their idolatry. He brought about the untimely deaths of uh, Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. Chapter 1 says that the Lord provided food for his people, which drew Naomi back. So he brought her back. He worked in Ruth's heart to come with Naomi. Ruth wanted to go work, and Naomi said, okay. And so she ended up happening to come to the field of Boaz. Boaz comes along, he notices her, and she finds favor in his eyes. He's a man of integrity, and so he takes her to the closest relative. He goes to the gate. This guy comes along, he follows the custom to purchase the land. He acquires Ruth as his wife as well. But God is behind every single detail in the book of Ruth. And God is doing this in your life. I want to just emphasize this again, that you can look for the loving kindness of the Lord in your life. Are you looking? Are you seeing that no matter what's going on in your life, all the problems, all the good things, God is at work. A lot of times we can see the problems. We, can, we, can, we lose a loved one. We experience an illness. We have marriage struggles and financial problems and all kinds of difficulties. But look for the hidden providences of God. Learn to ask yourself, where is God showing his loving kindness to me right now? Do you see it? Look for it. Try to figure it out. Pray to God, Lord, show me your glory in this. Well, you might say, well, God, if you're working all things together after the counsel of your will, if you're working it all together for good, if you mean the evil for good, like you did with Joseph, well, there's really no reason to pray. But that would be fatalism. It would be just resigning yourself to your circumstances, let God just take care of it. We believe in the sovereignty of God, we believe in the providence of God, but we also believe that God wants a relationship with us. 
When he saves you, he saves you into his family. And he wants to have you see that you're dependent upon him. And he wants you to talk to him about it. And so we also need to look for the love and kindness of the Lord in answers to prayer. Chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 is where we're going to wind up here in this section. But I want you to see that the whole book of Ruth is also filled with prayer. It's a short book, so they're short little prayers, but they're filled with significance. We, if we go back to chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, we see prayer in a private event. Naomi's trying to get her daughters-in-law to go back. And she says, May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. So you have Naomi praying to God for her daughters-in-law. And she's praying that they would experience kindness. And she notes that sometimes the kindness of the Lord is shown to us through other people who are kind to us. That's something to really recognize is that when people are kind to you, it's because of the kindness of the Lord. And we see it in the the normal course of the day in the book of Ruth also. In in chapter 2, verse 4, as Boaz arrives from Bethlehem, he greets the harvesters. And he says, the Lord be with you. May the Lord be with you. What What a great way to greet people. That you desire above all else for that person that you meet that God would bless them. And they return the the phrase, they say, the Lord bless you. In verse 12, we see this prayer. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz says this to Ruth. Ruth has come back with Naomi to take care of her, to show her kindness. And she has sought refuge under the wings of the protector God, Jehovah. Then verse 20. Naomi says to her daughter-in-law, the Lord bless him. Chapter 3, verse 10 He replies, the Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz to Ruth. So we we see these little interactions, but their speech to one another is filled with these little prayers of, may the Lord bless you. And isn't that what we want in life, is the blessing of the Lord? And so we should pray, pray for others, pray for ourselves, that the Lord would show his loving kindness and that we would see it. Now look at the the prayer of chapter 4 verses 11 and 12 this is just an amazing prayer verse 11 all the people who were in the court and the elders said we are witnesses they witnessed the deal and they pray this may the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah both of whom built the house of Israel and may you achieve wealth in the Ephrathah And become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. That teems with significance. This is Ruth, the stranger, 
the idol worshiper in Moab who has been transformed into a worshiper of the one true God. And the first thing they pray is that this widow, this barren woman for 10 years, the whole crowd prays first that she would be like Rachel and Leah. Well, you got to know your Bible. Who are Rachel and Leah? They are wives of who? Jacob. And the whole of Israel descends from them and their handmaidens. But we have the 12 tribes of Israel. And so they're saying, may she be like them. Having all of these descendants, all these offspring. And like Ruth, Rachel was barren, right? Rachel is one of those women in the line of Abraham that uh, the Lord opened her womb at some point and she had a child. They pray also that Boaz would be wealthy and he would be famous in Bethlehem. There's that word again. There's that town, that city of David, that, that place of hope where Christ the Savior will be born. Boaz is going to be famous. The kindness of the Lord is shown again. His name is recorded in Scripture, and his, his name appears in the genealogy of Christ in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. And then they mention Tamar. I love the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. Look over at genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 for a moment. Right at the beginning of Matthew, he starts his story of the birth of Christ with the genealogy of Christ. It says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham... Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Now wait a second, Tamar, well, there's a woman mentioned in the ge genealogy right here. And who was she? Well, she was the woman that was supposed to have a descendant. But all of a sudden, she decides that she's going to be disguising herself as a prostitute and having the opportunity to um, become in this line as well. She seduces Judah, right? If you read the story. And then... Read on down a little bit. It says, Ram was the father of Amenadab, and Amenadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. So, Boaz's mom was Rahab, the harlot, the Canaanite from Jericho. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. There we have Ruth. Obed the, Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Bathsheba. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. This teams with significance. 
we have four women in the line of Christ and we have their stories that show us that all of these people are flawed and it gives us hope that we too can be saved by grace alone. We can be justified by faith like Abraham was. And he exalts the status of women who were seen as lower on the social level. But there's one woman that all of this leads to as well. And that is Mary, the mother of Jesus. In verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. There's a lot of those stories that we could go into that are, are fascinating, but we must press on. The third place you should look for the love and kindness of God is in the miracle of conception. Chapter 4, verses 13 through 16 is where we'll look for that. People have children every day, don't they? I was just talking to somebody a little while ago about on the day of my graduation from seminary, my wife says, during Sunday school, we got to go to the hospital. And just a few hours later, we had our third child. That evening, I graduated from seminary. She told me, you must go to seminary. I didn't spend three years with you helping you through this for you to miss it. You must go to the graduation. And you must afterwards go to the party that I have planned for you as a surprise. <laughs> I dutifully went. But children are a blessing. But barrenness in the Bible is often stated. And it paints the picture to us of how much a miracle the birth of a child is. What about Eve? Eve was promised to have a, a child who would crush the serpent's head, that he would be the Savior. She was promised the seed all the way back there in the first couple of chapters there, chapter 3 of Genesis. But because of the curse, she was going to be given pain in childbearing, and that would cause you to not want to have a child, perhaps. I'm not a woman, so I don't really know. But I've seen it. Um, chapter 4, verse 1 of Genesis says, With the help of the Lord, I have gotten a man-child. With the help of the Lord. And then God makes his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And guess what? He promised Abraham the descendants as many as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. And yet for years and years and years, Sarah is barren. She even laughs when it's promised in her old age she would have a child. But then the Lord opened her womb. Rebecca, Isaac's wife. She entreated the Lord, and he entreated the Lord for her because she was barren in Genesis 25, 21. Rachel, one of Jacob's wives, was barren in chapter 29, and the Lord opened her womb. In the times of the judges, Manoah, he had a nameless wife, she's not named, and she was barren, and she gave birth to a deliverer for Israel. That was Samson's mother. 
Then we have Hannah, wife of Elkanah. He had two wives. One of them was Hannah, who was barren. The other one had children. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 1 that the Lord had shut her womb. But she wept bitterly and was, was praying and crying out to God. And he finally granted her request and she gave birth to the prophet Samuel. There's a lady named Elizabeth in the New Testament we read in Luke chapter 1. And she was barren, but God gave her conception and she gave birth to John the Baptist. So over and over throughout the Bible we see barren women and God gives conception, especially in the line of Christ. So these, these all pointed to something though, didn't they? They pointed to the child that would be the seed of the woman, the Christ, the Messiah. And he would be given to a young woman named Mary, who was a virgin. She wasn't just barren, she was a virgin. And the Holy Spirit enabled her to conceive. So it's no insignificant thing that we read back in Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. Children are a blessing of the Lord. And every time you see a child, you should think, what a gift. And this child reminds me of Christ. Never let it stop there. Children are a blessing of the Lord. Yes, but they should remind us and point to Christ. Okay, so each chapter is very fascinating because the book started with Naomi and it ends with Naomi and every chapter checks up on Naomi and gives an update. You could almost call this book the book of Naomi instead of the book of Ruth. It says in verse 14, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better than seven sons to you has given birth to him. Wow, better than seven sons. Naomi has gone from bitter to blessed, hasn't she? Chapter 1, she said, call me Mara, which means bitterness. Now she is Naomi, which means pleasantness. She has now in this child, it says that she has a redeemer, one who is famous in Israel, who is restorer of life and a sustainer in her old age. Do those words remind you of anybody? How about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? He is our restorer, our deliverer. He is famous in Israel. He is our sustainer. Look at this beautiful picture in verse 16. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. Isn't that beautiful? All barrenness and death and famine at the beginning. Now we have a grandmother holding her little grandson. Happy and fulfilled and seeing God's blessing. 
Well, the last place you need to look for the love and kindness of God is in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what all this has been leading to. Chapter 4, verses 17 through 22. Everything in verses 14 and 15, as I said before, could refer to our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Redeemer. 1 Peter 3, 18 and 19 says, You were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Redeeming means buying. Jesus paid the price for our salvation, for our redemption. He bought us with his precious blood as he died on the cross. He's our restorer. I love Psalm 55, 22. And he's our sustainer. It says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Now listen to this, verse 17. The neighbor women gave him a name. Now that's kind of odd. Who names this child? The neighbor women. (laughs) Perhaps she said this is his name and then he, I don't know. Uh, A son has been born to Naomi, so they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Did you hear that? They began with no king, right? During the time of the judges. But now we're getting out of that. Hallelujah. There's going to be a king in Israel, a king in Judah, the father of David. The biggest surprise is in the last sentence of verse 17. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then it goes into a genealogy. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram Amenadab, and to Amenadab was born Nashon, and to Nashon Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz Obed, and and Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse David. David. That's as far as the narrator here can see into the future. He's looking at What does this mean? What is this leading to? And he gets as far as David. That's a great, great place to get to. To see the great king. But by God's grace, we are not left where they are, are we? We have all of redemption. The progressive revelation that has been displayed in Scripture. That pointed us past David to the greater David, the Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are on this side of the cross in the writing of the word of God. By God's grace, we have insight into these things. We can hear the prophet Micah, as recorded in Matthew, saying, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel. They didn't know that the started genealogy in Ruth would end in Matthew chapter 1 with Jacob, the father of Joseph, the mother, or the husband of Mary, and Mary will be the mother of Jesus. Jesus is our ultimate kinsman redeemer. He's the one of whom it was prophesied that he would be born of a virgin in Bethlehem, that he would live a a righteous life, that he would be betrayed and arrested 
and unjustly tried, that lots would be cast for his garments, that he would be crucified, and he would cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All of these things are recorded in Scripture and prophesied before they took place. He would die, and he would be born, uh, well, he would die, and that he would be buried in the tomb of a rich man. But it was prophesied that he would rise again from the dead. And he did. And because of this, he was able to become the ultimate kinsman redeemer. We read this beautiful verse in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, that he gave himself to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Your story is part of the greater story of God's preparing a people for his own redemption. For his, his people, for his own possession, to, to have you in heaven with him, to have you in his family. And every detail of your life is part of this big tapestry that God is weaving together. Look for the loving kindness of God in your life and in your prayers and in children and ultimately in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this would be encouraging to people today. We pray, Lord, that every one of us would recognize that we, we experience the loving kindness of God every single day of our life, perhaps even every single moment, every breath that we breathe. And Lord, you know that you are working all the details of life behind us in the hidden scenes. Only you can really draw it out. Only you know what you're doing. But Father, we pray that, that we would look to you. We would realize that our lives have great significance. Help us not to be caught up in the details. Help us not to be focused on the trivial matters. But in the things that may seem trivial, commonplace, we would see the miraculous. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.